My guest today is a fraternity line brother of mine. He's an ex-roommate and friend. He was a D1 athlete in school and has been doing some amazing things in the marketing space since. He's the head of brand marketing, public relations, and strategy at Avocados for Mexico. Please welcome Kevin Hamilton. Kevin, how's it going? Doing well, man. How are you? Hey, doing okay. Thanks for joining the podcast. My pleasure. All right. Well, let's get right into it, okay? Let's do it. What do you do? Well, there's my title, and then there's what I do. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> so uh, I currently work for an organization that's called Avocados from Mexico, and it's a strange organization. It's a type of organization that really doesn't exist anywhere else in the United States. What it is, and, and we exist as an act of Congress. And to try to make what is effectively a very long story short, what we do is we market, we promote the sale and the branding of avocados from the country of Mexico. The reason why it's unique is because we are only a marketing organization and there is a law that exists that came into existence, I believe, in the year 2000 that allows for this structure to exist. Basically, to again, try to keep things simple. You have the growers in Mexico that grow the product. You have the importers in the United States that buy the product. Right. And they work in the system to get that product, avocados, to the store that you see every day when you go to a grocery store. But then over the top of that, you have the United States Department of Agriculture that sort of oversees it. And mm. so all we are is we focus on marketing for these organizations because prior to our existence, they tried to do marketing separately and it just didn't work out. You're, you're asking farmers and operators and product supply people to do marketing. That's not what it is. So I'm the head of what we call brand marketing, public relations, as well as strategy. What does that mean? You've heard of other brands out there, Nike, Apple, Hershey's. We're trying to create a brand that is known in the same way that you know those brands, that they mean something to you. Now, I cover the entire United States market, not only what we call the general market, just kind of people born in the U.S. and more, whether it's Caucasian, African-American, so on. But we also have a specific arm that I market to for the Hispanic market. So mm -hmm. I have that. And I also have a, what we call, again, public relations. And really, it's focused on how to communicate our purpose our goals through the media. So when you see stories about avocados from Mexico in, on CNN.com, things like that, that's what the public relations arm is for. And then, of course, strategies. We built this company from the ground up. I've been there since the beginning. So when you're building anything, you have to establish ways of working. How are you going to be who you're trying to be? And so those are the strategies that I help to develop and deploy. Nice. Okay. All right. So thank you. That was a good explanation of what brand marketing is, as, as well as the public relations and strategy piece. But in your words, what would you say makes a strong brand? Well, that's a good question. I think in order to understand what a strong brand is, one might want to back up for a moment and understand what the value of a brand is, period. Right. And the best way I know to more simplistically explain this is when I'm talking to people about vehicles, automobiles. You think about it, there's a functional use. 
all a car at the base level needs to do is get you from A to B. That's it. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily need to get you there comfortably. It doesn't necessarily need to get you there in style. That's what cars were invented for. The Model T 100 years ago was just to get you from A to B. Over time, what's happened is you have some functional differences. Okay, this car maybe has a camera in the back of it. Maybe this car doesn't. But the main thing that's happened over time is that we've established branding with cars. Why do people pay all this extra money for a BMW? for Mercedes-Benz, for Maybach, whatever. Is it because it looks nice? Sure, it looks nice, but a lot of cars look nice. You can get a nice looking car that doesn't cost that much money. The reason why people do that is because over time, they've created an emotional feeling, right? An emotional connection with people. And that's done through branding, okay? (laughs) Nike is another good example. Does this shoe allow me to jump higher? Well, they tried that. Does this shoe allow me to run faster? Probably not. In fact, I bet Nike, Adidas, all those guys, I bet all that product is made in the same factory in Vietnam. Okay. The truth is you buy Nike because you have a personal association, a personal love, a personal affinity towards that brand. And they were branding to you all the way back when they had those Jordans. Right. So the question then, to get to your point then, if the point is to establish an emotional connection that will drive not only more sales, but also profitable sales. You're going to pay more for this mm-hmm. brand than you would for a non-branded item. Then a strong brand effectively does that. A strong mm-hmm. brand establishes an emotional connection that means people will act almost irrationally. Don't take that negatively. It just means right. non-functionally. But people will act irrationally in order to be a part of and in our business to acquire by the brand. And so brands that do this well, Starbucks, again, you can get a coffee literally from anywhere. Starbucks. Now, they have the advantage of convenience at this point by having stores everywhere. But still, they've got that brand component. They Tylenol is another one. There's a ton of, of players out there that. Uh, Now, Tylenol, again, they have advantages. They've been around a long time. But still, you can get painkillers from a lot of different spaces. Why do they run commercials for Tylenol, Aleve, Advil? So strong brands, strong brands are brands that they're a product that mean more to you than their functional use. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you establish that emotional connection with your market. You're also, I guess, building your company's reputation and trustworthiness, like those brands you mentioned. And there's that market reach about what you do. That's your role. Um, Yeah, because, you know, the thing about it, RJ, is if you have a business, the goal of that business is to earn more money than you spent to operate the business. Right. So Mm -hmm. in other words, earn profit. right? Right. So so the question then is. Think about all and all the viewers, all the listeners, all they have to do is think about the products they buy. Think about the products you buy all the time that you really don't need or Mm -hmm. think about the products you buy that are really expensive. And you have the option to buy a cheaper version of that. Why do you do it? You know, my mother doesn't make that much money. But then I I talked to her the other day and all she does, she will only get bounty paper towel. (laughs) I was just thinking about bounty. (laughs) 
Yeah, like why? Why? <laughs> there, are, there are plenty of cheaper paper towels. You know, some are not operating as good. They don't perform as well. But but you got cheap paper towel that performs yeah. well. Why bounty? They've established mm-hmm. that brand in their head, brawny paper towel. So it allows you to sell more at a better profit. That's effectively nice. what a brand does. Nice. Now, so there's several platforms that you can reach your uh, audience. What platforms do you use? And also with the kind of changes that's going on now, is that also changing what you do? And are you adjusting to it, like maybe using more TV? Very good question. So over the years, marketing channels have definitely proliferated, if you will. They've they've increased. You've got a lot of different ways to reach consumers. That actually makes our job harder. Because this is where I, one of the pieces of my world I didn't mention is I control the media decisions as well, at least most of them. And you have to make those calls with your media team on, okay, are you going to have a TV commercial? Are you going to have a print ad? Are you going to have a billboard on the side of a road? Are you going to advertise inside gyms, inside grocery stores? Are you going to, of course, be on social media, the gram, Facebook, podcasting, audio, Pandora? The Spotify. There's so many. And so we have to absolutely analyze what are the best channels given a limited budget. Okay. That's the key. Got all the money in the world. You can be everywhere. Like some of these brands do like Geico or Progressive. These guys have literally hundreds of millions of dollars they spend per year in media. That's not to just produce the ad. That's just to buy the media to put the ad on. They're spending $500, $700 million for that. So when you have a limited budget like ours, you have to make those calls. You have to say, okay, well, with the money we have, the best use in order to accomplish the goals that we have in our brand life cycle, in in the the stage of where as a brand, looks like X. So the decisions we've made is that, number one, we're going to be on TV. Now, TV, you've got the regular TV, the old school TV everyone knows about, which is the cable box. Right. And then you've got the new school TV, which is your Roku, your Amazon Fire. Yeah, the Apple TV. So, right. So, so even within that, you've got decisions to make. Okay. Yeah. So, and just to give you a sense, on one side of my business, that general market USA that I talked about, I'm on the old school TV. We call it linear. That's the cable box world. Mm -hmm. And then also buy against Roku. Amazon Fire, Apple TV, all those guys. But then with Hispanic, with the Hispanic market, I don't do any of that old school cable box buy. I Mm. I do only the Fire TV, Apple TV. We call that over the top, OTT, the list out there. Okay, just a little industry jargon. OTT means over the top platform, basically. It just means something that you plug into your TV over the top of your TV, basically in order to get the channels you used to get. So anyway, you've got that. We advertise with Pandora, so we do streaming radio. Last year, I did what we call terrestrial radio. That's your AM, FM radio print advertising. We're looking at advertising into gyms this year, as well as clearly we have a very robust presence in digital marketing as well. We're on Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram. I mean, obviously we have our own dot-com sites. We advertise with Google search. So we're all over the place. Wow. So 
Yeah, way more levels and platforms than I initially thought of. So when you're making these decisions, like what are you using? How are you getting the data to make these decisions? Because just like you said, it's not just TV. You got to even get even granular than that. And then the gyms. Right. And So how do you break that down? And what data are you using to do that? Well, so when you're in a role like this, mm-hmm. if you're a person that runs media and runs brand messaging, brand marketing, The data sets you use, the information or what we call insights that you use are different on both sides. On the media side, it's a lot more, uh, we'll say it's a lot more black and white. It's a lot more black and white to the extent that the data even exists and that you can trust it. I talked about the over the top platforms and the over the top spaces, Fire TV, Amazon, all that. The ability to prove that what they say they're doing for you, that they're actually doing it, is very tough, okay? It's data is not very trustworthy. But we use data to effectively, the whole name of the game is this. I use, even with my agencies that I work with, I use a pizza delivery analogy. And what I say is, when you're having a pizza delivered, there are two things that are very important. First, the pizza, has to get to the right house, Yeah. (laughs) right? So that's the media side. Mm -hmm. So when you ask what kind of data, we're looking at the data that helps us determine is this decision or this Uh channel of marketing, this type of media, is this the best media that gets us to the target, to the delivery house that we're trying to get to, right? So the first order of business is it doesn't matter how good my brand marketing and brand message is. If I don't deliver it to the right person, yeah. it's not going to work. Right. So so that's like me delivering a message of eat more avocados to someone who's allergic to avocados. Right. I don't you know what I'm saying. So I have to get that to the right person. So so that's the media job. And that's the type of data we look at. On the other hand. What if the pizza gets to the right house and it tastes terrible, right? What if it's just a bad tasting pizza or it's the wrong type of pizza that you order, right? So it's not enough for the message to just get to the right person. It has to be a message that they can feel, that they resonate with, that they identify with. And so there's a whole other set of data on the brand marketing side to figure that out, Mm, right? Good. Great analogy. Okay. Got it. Got it. All right. So so let's talk about a typical day for you. What does that look like? Well, because we're a very small company, my days can look pretty crazy and pretty random. What I can say is that all those areas that I touched in terms of what I do, whether it's media, brand marketing, public relations work or strategy work for the company, strategy research, usually my day touches on one of those four every day. And some days it might be more of a marketing day and less of a media day. Another day may be more media, less marketing. One day may be a whole bunch of PR and not much of the other. And then another day may be research and strategy and all of the above. But I've got a team that works for me, that works for the company. So they their paycheck says the same company my paycheck says. But then I also have several marketing and media agencies that work for me. So they're separate companies that we effectively outsource the work to and work with them in order to actually deliver the ad that I might have produced, the television ad or the radio ad, 
the guys I talked about the media work. I'll work with the media agency to try to figure out what area should we be marketing in, whether it's radio marketing or TV marketing, et cetera. Even if it's television, should we be on BET? Should we be on CBS? Should we put our ad against football advertising, basketball advertising, no sports at all? Those types of decisions. So a lot of my day, I probably spend more time with my agencies than I do my internal people, other than the guys that report to me, obviously. And so, so yes, depending on the time of year for me, this time of year in the summertime is slightly slower, but then we, we start picking up pieces. We start getting ready to produce television ads, produce radio ads, produce the billboards and the things that you see on Facebook, the posts, et cetera. We do the bulk of that in the fall. So my days are elements of that type of activity. And then in the spring, we're kind of wrapping things up in terms of producing, but now we're focused on planning for the next year, mm. right? So then we do a lot of intellectual exercises around that. Wow. So it seems like you touch so many different areas, whether it's media, marketing, public relations strategy, data analysis also. So with all that, and you're working with so many different types of people from you know the agencies to your, your team, and with your role, what type of skill sets or characteristics do you think are important to yeah. be successful in what you do in your line of business? Well, you know, one of the things and one of the decisions I made, RJ, years ago was I wanted to be a generalist. I wanted to be someone that touched many different parts of the marketing space because I thought that that would position me better for leadership in the future. So one of the things I think people need to figure out is, well, look, am I more of a a media person? Well, what does that look like to answer your question? Well, media people are really good with data, okay? Media is a data play, okay? It's data, 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 that's all it is. So if you're good with numbers, if you're good with logic, If you're good with seeing this number over here, this number over here, so that must mean this number over here. If you're good in that space, media can be an interesting place to play, especially with the way that innovation in the media space continues to explode. So you won't be bored. The watch out for media is the same watch out that America has for almost every job, which is that so much of what we do So many of our jobs are threatened by the advent of AI and technology. Uh So so there's a lot of things you used to do only through a media person that you can do what we call programmatically now, basically Mm. data programs. And so that's the watch out if you want to go into a media space. Is my job going to be obsolete one day? I mean, you look at right like Tesla is trying to make cab drivers obsolete. Right. right. With yeah. right. So, so. So that's the watch out on the brand side. The brand side is interesting because I think you can go two routes with brand marketing. You can go into the side or to the route of brand marketing that's more business related. You're very mm-hmm. focused on profit and loss. You're very focused on product marketing and really more of a running a business style. So those are the guys that go to business school. They're going to focus on many different aspects of management, of communications, and so on. The other side of brand marketing, though, you may say, well, Kevin, I don't want to be you. I want to be one of your agencies that actually gets to produce 
TV ads all over the world. Well, those folks typically are folks that go to the communication school, not the business school, right? So their degree is usually a Bachelor of Arts, not a Bachelor of Business. (laughs) And you got to have a good amount of creativity within you. Even if you're on the strategy side of the agency, which they call those roles planners. They're the guys that help us figure out what our business strategy is or what our brand strategy is on the agency side. Well, the other roles on the agency side include the creatives. They come up with the cool ideas. It's the Mad Men show that you've seen. Yeah. Me, I'm just creative enough to be on this side of the business. I could not be on the agency side of the business and be very good. I'm just not creative enough for that, but I'm creative enough to get them started, right? right? With examples and things like that. Public relations, same thing. Yeah, 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 exactly. Because a lot of a lot of all this is is translation, right? Mm-hmm. It's what and communicating in life and in business is very important in that respect to think of it as I need to be able to translate properly what's in my head to these people. So that's very important because that's where I think a lot of things go wrong. You get something back from your people, from your agencies or so on in terms of ideas that don't match what was in your head, is that because you didn't explain it well enough? Possible, right? So good communication skills, logic, creativity, thinking outside the box, flexibility, thinking about the world, thinking about numbers even in a flexible manner. Just those things, I think, are where you want to go if you want to be in this space. Okay. And now you mentioned business school. Let's talk about how you got to where you are. What steps did you take to get to where you are? Oh, man, uh, that's a whole other podcast, man. That's a okay. whole. That's a, but, but and I'll tell you why it's a whole other podcast for me, RJ, man, because and, and I'll get I'll get real here a little bit. Okay? OK, for the benefit of your listeners and viewers. All right. My path, I had a typical path. If you look at it at the 30,000 foot level, you know, I graduated high school. I went to college. I was blessed enough to get an opportunity at one of the best companies for this type of work in the world, Procter & Gamble. But how I got to what seems to be typical was not ideal. It's not what you want. I mean, the number one thing, the number one advantage all successful people will have is that they had a great start from their parents, Mm-hmm. because they knew how to get them going down the right road. Right. My parents didn't have that. They didn't have that. So I had to figure out things on my own. There are a lot of advantages that other folks had that I would find out after the fact, like, oh, this thing even exists? Yeah, well, they knew about it because their parents knew about it, or yeah. you need to get a mentor in this space. Like, I, I never had anybody tell me anything. Right. So, so when you ask the question, well, how'd you get there? Well, I was blessed a little bit with an ability to sort of logically think early on in my life. I was never the type of person to say I'm the smartest guy in the world, but I believe that I make excellent decisions with the data presented to me. And so that's been very beneficial to overcoming some of the disadvantages that I had. But to explain really quickly, having said all of that, Some of the steps, you just heard some of them, undergrad, University of Texas at the time. And this is the thing people need to understand, particularly some of the younger viewers. You're not going to exactly know what you want to do. You're going to think you know what you want to do, but 
you're not going to exactly know. Here's a problem with being successful and overcoming disadvantages on your own mm-hmm. or largely on your own. I'm not going to say on my own completely, but overcoming a lot of disadvantages myself. The problem is early on when you do that and you have successes doing that, you think you know it all. Mm-hmm. Right. It, yeah. It's kind of like it's kind of like when you're I'm going to try to make something up in sports. Let's say you're learning how to play basketball and you're learning how to shoot the ball. You could be learning how to shoot the ball or be shooting the ball the worst way ever. But because you made a few shots, you think you're good. Right. (laughs) It's like, nah, not really. So one of the problems I had looping this thing back is that, you know, I I thought I had things figured out when really I could have used help. And I didn't even know to seek it out. And then when I when I was put up on the game, seek help, seek yeah. mentorship, I really yeah. didn't do it. I really yeah. didn't do it till later on. So get some mentorship, get some people who are where you want to be, and then they'll bring you along. They'll tell you how to do this. Don't recreate the wheel. That's just foolish. Get the easy stuff, focus on the hard stuff, and you'll make it there much faster. But ultimately, be school. My first degree is in management information systems. Back in the late 90s, as you'll remember, right, tech was really starting to blow up. I knew I wanted to be in business, but that's where the money was. So I said, okay, let me do this hybrid between tech and business. But what I figured out after graduating pretty quickly was that I'm not really interested enough in tech to be in tech. Tech is one of those things that it changes so often, you need to be willing to spend your personal time reading about it all the time. And I found that I was more interested in communicating and understanding why people do what they do and merging that with my interest in business. Mm -hmm. And that's where marketing kind of comes in, right? Marketing seeks to understand what matters to you. Okay, now how can I utilize that information for you to like me more as a brand, basically, right? So, uh, you know, I worked at several large organizations, went back to graduate school at the University of Michigan, and there I focused on strategy and marketing and have been focused on that ever since. I've been in consulting for a short time. I did work on the marketing agency side for a short time. And again, a lot of that was because I wanted to get a well-rounded experience. I knew in, in my job, I would have agencies reporting to me and I need to know how it works on that side of the fence. So I went to go work there for a couple of years. And so that's the the long slash short of how I got to this spot. A lot of it, a lot of it's luck, but they say if you work hard, luck will come to you. And I've certainly tried to work hard. Well, that's good. Great advice that you've given. And I love the advice about being a well-rounded person and how that can help you to move into management roles and reaching out for mentors. Because I tell a lot of people, when you're trying to help others, money helps and other things help. But being a mentor is the one thing that helps more than anything else. I think you're right. Totally, RJ, man. People like me back then needed people like me now to be up in my mix back then. You know what I mean? And that is where the real help is. Money comes and goes. There's a lot of ways to get that. It's not so much the money, it's the knowledge. The knowledge is priceless. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's switch gears a little bit. Can you tell us about what you love about what you do? Well, you know, I actually inadvertently sort of did that already. I think the main thing that interests me and 
that I get a kick out of is understanding how to merge my interest in understanding people, mm-hmm. what motivates people to do what they do with how business works. Those are the two large interests in my life, right? So I always tell people if I weren't in business, I'd probably be a psychologist or maybe like in mm-hmm. sociology or something. Another space that I probably would have been interested in is behavioral economics, right? Because matching irrational behaviors with logical thinking and how those two things go together or conflict with each other have always been very interesting to me, right? People don't always, or most of the time, in fact, when push comes to shove, people don't make logical decisions, right? They make or they, they make decisions that are, how we say, idiosyncratic to them, specific to them, right. right? And so, and it may not necessarily be the logical decision. You're seeing that right now with wearing masks during coronavirus. The logical decision is everybody should wear a mask. Yet, mm-hmm. you have so many people fighting simply wearing a mask. Why? Because that's that irrational thinking. So all of that has always been very interesting to me. But making money has always been interesting. So, so, so marketing is a good blend of the two. And so every day, that's the that's the space that we get to play. Got it. All right. Well, now what about challenges? What challenges are out there? What keeps you up at night? Well, these days, what keeps me up at night is just staying current with everything that's going on, particularly from a digital marketing standpoint. Right. That's the hardest part today about this job. It reminds me of the tech days, honestly, when back what now is 20 years ago, just staying current, man. There's different platforms, different techniques, different approaches. And now, you know, when Facebook first started, it was a pretty simple formula. Basically, you put a post out there and if people liked it, the more people that liked it, the more people would see it. Right. Right. These days, it's not as simple anymore. It's I don't want to get too much in the weeds, but it's a more complex algorithm programming behind that. And so in order to be successful as a brand and you want your brand seen on a Facebook in front of people's feeds, whether it's IG or whatever, you need to understand that algorithm. You need to understand that programming and get behind the scenes and and design your your posts, design your Web pages so that they are picked up by these platforms. So these things are very complex these days and they get more complex every day. And so that's the keep you up at night answer right there, man. It's okay. it's just staying current with very complex spaces now. All right. Now, what's your most memorable moment that you've had? Yeah, I mean, um, well, you know, I've had several good and bad. See, I think mm-hmm. when people answer this question, they might give you all the good stuff. There's some bad stuff, too. Right. right. And I think people need to be aware that you're going to (laughs) if you haven't already, folks, you're going to have something very bad happen in your career. And I've had a few. I've had a few. You know, one of the most memorable moments, frankly, was and I'll leave the guilty unnamed here. But one of my one of my one of the companies I work for, man, I just had a terrible boss. You know, they say the number one reason people quit jobs is because of their manager. And so one of my most memorable situations is just feeling stuck, feeling in a situation where I had no way out, even though I did, you can always quit. You always have choices, folks. 
just remember that you always long as long as you create choices for yourself, you got choices. Mm -hmm. And that actually is the learning from that. It's make sure you have choices. But that's a memorable experience. Okay. I mean, certainly on the on the positive side, to bring it back to something on the north side of positive. What I would tell you is I've had the pleasure of creating Super Bowl ads the last six years. Wow. And that's wow. something that people in our business Creating Super Bowl ads is the Super Bowl of marketing, really. And having the opportunity to do that, people will be marketers their entire lives and not get a chance to make a Super Bowl ad and participate in that as the biggest marketing event in the world, at least as far as we believe it is. And so that's awesome. That's good stuff. That is awesome. And especially when you talk about the disadvantages you had and having to learn stuff on your own after the fact and having to bounce back from certain things to creating ads for the Super Bowl. I think that's really incredible. Awesome. Yes, sir. Okay. Now, all right, man. So we've gotten to the end of this. I want to ask some quick hitter questions for other people that I get to know you better. But before we do yes, that, sir. is there anything you think I left out or anything you want to say? First of all, thanks for the opportunity, man. And anytime you'll have me, I'm, I'm more than happy to, to be here. So thanks. The only thing I think that I would want to make sure that people know, do when it comes to career is I'm going to go back to something I was just saying about choices. Mm-hmm. When I was younger working at P&G, and again, I talk about what my innate skill has been, and it's been observation, taking data, turning that into insight and action. I remember when I was younger, in my early 20s, I was working with Procter & Gamble and I was working on sales teams. I was in the research kind of tech side of the team. I wasn't a salesperson, but I was working with salespeople. And I was talking to a colleague and that colleague had to move his family a lot because what happens is when you're on a sales team, if something happens to the company that you're selling to, then in this case, P&G is going to say, well, look, that company's smaller now, so we don't have to give that many resources to the sales team. We need to move you to a different sales team somewhere across the country. And, you know, he really found that hard. He's putting three daughters in school. And, and I just remember thinking to myself, well, why are you letting this company do this to you if it's that hard? And I came to the conclusion pretty early that the reason why he's letting this company do this to him is because he needs the money. <laughs> and, and he did not create options, choices, venues, vehicles for leaving that company and either going to another company or having another set of income or et cetera. So what I would say is to people that are listening and watching is just if you're going to not work for yourself and you're going to work for somebody else, you make sure that you're the one with the leverage over your life. You control your life. You drive your life. Don't let a company, an employer, a boss or anybody control you or your life. At the end of the day, every day you go into work, You need to be in a position in life in which you could say, you know what, I'm out of here. I'm done with this. Mm. You need to make sure you are in that position at all times, because the way things are going today, I like to tell people, RJ, we graduated, I think. And I know we got to go, so I'll be fast, but we graduated when 
I think that the last time or the last era that companies really cared about employees for life, right? Mm, yeah, right. I really think that that era is now over and people have to protect themselves from layoff, downsize, just the way that a bad work situation can infect your life, your home life, your emotional psyche. So that's what I would tell people. Stay in control of your life by creating leverage and leverage comes from creating options. Yeah, man, I think that's great advice. Creating options, keeping your resume up to date, keep networking, having multiple streams of income, things like that, I would say. So like you said, keep your options open. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. Great advice. That's exactly right. Exactly, yeah. man. All right. So let's get to these quick hitter questions. So number one, what's your favorite sports team? Oh, favorite sports team. Well, I, you know, I'm more I'm more college, right? So yep. basically the two schools I went to, University of Texas, University of Michigan, and if they play each other, whoever has the ball. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like it. All right. Favorite movie or show? Uh, you know, to tell you the truth, I don't watch a lot of movies or shows anymore. I, I spend a lot of my time. What's fun to me is learning. Uh, yeah. And I don't need to sound like some nerd that wants to sound cool and, and says, oh, it's fun to learn. <laughs> well, I, I just don't I don't spend a lot of time with fictional shows, basically. But some of the young guys got to go back and look up Office Space. That was a good movie. Oh. Yeah, yeah, that, that was a, that was a fun one. Pretty much anything Eddie Murphy was in back in the day. I mean, that, there there's some good stuff out there. I do like action yeah. movies, uh, Transformers, stuff like that. Yeah. All right. Favorite musical artist or group? That one starts to get a little bit difficult these days too. But there's a a duo out there by the name of Van Jess. Look them up. V A N space J E S S. Grown folks music, as my dad used to say, on the R&B, R&B, neo soul side. If you want a little more, how do we say, kind of smoothed out, down-tempo house type of thing that you might hear in a lounge, go check out Miguel Miggs. That's some good stuff. He's part of Naked Music Productions. Between those two genres, that's going to be probably 80% of what I listen to. Okay, I'm going to check them out. Van Jess and Miguel Miggs. All right. Favorite vacation spot? Well, um, love Fiji. Fiji, Israel, Palestine, and Thailand. Three places that, and if you get a chance, South Africa as well. Those are all good. Nice. And last, favorite food or drink? Well, I hope everybody that's listening or watching is over 21. <laughs> uh, but you, but I'll just say certain over 21 beverages. Okay. If you're in Louisiana, I think it's 18. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, food, listen, all the bad stuff, man. Anything fried. If you fry your elbow, I might eat it. <laughs> you know, like uh, right. Oh, yeah. Text country, you know, oxtail, the whole thing. I, I want all that. I want all that. Everything out of Louisiana, I love that food out there. You guys down in Houston, you guys have a lot more. Since Katrina, Dallas has gotten a lot of options, but Houston's got a lot of options in that Cajun-y space that I like a lot. So, yeah. All right. Well, thanks, man. This has been great. I really appreciate it. Great story. Great advice. Love it. Is there any way that people can get in contact with you? Yeah, for sure. First of all, let's see. I'm on Instagram. So it's Cordero, C-O-R-E-D-R-O, uh, 080877, the handle on that. Let's see, I'm on Twitter as well. 
I almost, you know what, if you give me a minute, I have to remember what my handle is on Twitter, <laughs> you know, and I can try to look that up on the fly here real quick. Profile at Kham Social. Okay. Yeah, I had to change that. So that's why I had to look it up. So at Kham Social is the Twitter handle on Facebook as well. You can just find me by my name there. And most importantly, for a conversation like this, LinkedIn, um, you can absolutely LinkedIn me as well. You can find me by my name. You'll look for the one that's with avocados from Mexico. Great. Well, thanks a lot, Kevin. Appreciate it, as I said, and have a good one. Hey, likewise, man. Good to see you. Yeah, good seeing you too. All right. Thanks for having me. Thank you, everyone. If you have any comments or questions or would like to be on the podcast, please reach out to me on Instagram at Rodolfo Cooper. Thank you. Bye.